here's the thing. I love this thing called organized chaos. Anyone ever heard of that? I'm a master of it. Um, so it's how I run most things in my life. I like a planned schedule. I do. But I know that chaos is going to ensue in every little detail. Uh, for example, if you come to a youth night, who here has ever walked in and been like, what is going on? Anyone? Okay, yeah. Yeah, that happens. Um, so, but if you look, there's a schedule, okay? And from 6 to 10, you will know, theoretically, what we are doing. Right? That sounds so, like, for sure. You'll know, theoretically, what we're doing, because from 6 to 10, everything is blocked out. This is 15 minutes, this is 10 minutes, yada, yada. However, what happens in between, many parents, I'm sure, will tell you is chaos. Because they walk in, they hear screaming and yelling, there's whipped cream on the floor, there's balls being thrown around, and there's a basketball hoop on someone's, like, face. And they're like, what is happening? Chaos, right? They're, these kids are laughing because they're like, yes, exactly. Um, but I swear, it's organized, okay? Um, see, I'm a person that I love to have a plan. Uh, if you want to drive me nuts, please do not do this. Uh, disclaimer, but if you would want to, if you were to be cruel, um, then ch make a plan with me and then just change it last minute. Because with a smile on my face and anger in my heart, I will say, that's totally okay. That's fine. Sure, why not? See, I love to have plans. Details, no. But overall plans, those are my jam, okay? Those are like what I do. Um, and most of us like when things go according to plan. Does anyone here enjoy watching the same movie over and over again? Like there's one movie that you've just watched multiple times. Okay, so um, you already know how it's going to end, right? The surprises aren't really surprises but it brings this warmth to your heart. For me, I am a sucker for the holiday and for Bride Wars. I also love Lion King. Um, and the TV show, The Good Place. I've watched the first episode like eight times. I haven't watched the whole thing eight times, but that first episode, I know it. Um, so this is actually attributed to something called experiential control. And it's the feeling of feeling safe. So there's a reason why you wanna watch those over and over again. Um, it's because you can control your emotions because you already know what's going to happen. And it's been especially beneficial, actually, for people who have anxiety or high stress because it lowers our critical factor. Fun facts, right? It makes our brain at peace because we already know what's going to happen. It's why we watch those cheesy Christmas movies at Christmas time, right? You're like, oh... Oh no, what if they don't get together? Oh wow, they did, right? Like we know what's happening. Okay guys, come on. It, we love that nostalgic feeling. There was one kid and their mother who were recorded on Netflix as watching the B movie. Never seen that movie, supposedly it's good because they watched it 357 times one year. That's how you go insane. Um, has any parent had that where your kid just keeps wanting to watch the same movie? I heard that happened with Frozen a lot. Um, but some of us watch movies because they make us feel good, uh, because we, we, we know who the good guy is, and you know how the movie should go. So let's take a favorite of mine, The Lion King. Love this movie. Um, and Simba, he survives till the end. But imagine if he had gotten trampled by the wildebeests. There would have been no Can You Feel the Love Tonight. There would have been no Timon and Pumbaa. And worst of all, there would have been no Hakuna Matata. That is a tra like travesty. Because if Simba doesn't survive and run off, the movie's absolutely done. 
And so we've been going to the book of Mark, and it kind of feels like one of those times that we're now in in the book of Mark, where it's not looking so good for the good guys. It's, it's looking like maybe they've lost, and, and maybe they're losing hope. So we're going to read again together um, about Jesus being arrested. And it says, so immediately, even after Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. These guys are ready for a fight. They'd been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. And the traitor, that's a good call out, Mark, the traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to address when I meet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. And as soon as they arrived, Jesus, Judas walks up to Jesus, says, Rabbi, and he exclaimed, and he gave him this kiss. And then the others grab Jesus, and they arrest him. But one of the men with Jesus pulls out a sword and strikes the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. But Jesus asked them, am I, in some, am I some dangerous revolutionary? that you could come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day, but these things are happening to fulfill what the scripture says about me. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man followed behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. Okay, it ends really weird. We'll get to that later. But dear Lord, we pray that the words I say are not from me. They are completely from you. Let our ears and our hearts be open to what you want to do in us today. Amen. So we're at this really weird part of the story because everything Jesus said that was going to happen that's bad is happening. He's arrested. All of his friends have left him. And everything that people thought was going to happen to change the world, it looks like it's hanging in the balance. It's the part of the movie that's that switch where you think, aha, it's, it's going to be okay. Jesus is going to get away. He's going to find another plan. Those Christmas movies, they're going to work out. We're thinking it's going to work out, right? Peter, the one who slices off the guard's ear, thinks, do you know what? I'm going to fix this. I'm just going to, you know, take my sword and fight them. The story will continue, but Jesus says this is what fulfills the scriptures. This is the plan. And we learn several things in this passage that actually bring us all hope. Again, I know this can feel heavy, but they do bring us hope. So first of all, Jesus shows us what it means to surrender. So throughout the scripture, um, there are some things to be said. First of all, Judas has turned on Jesus. He's done exactly what Jesus said. If you don't know who Judas is, he's one of what I call Jesus' besties, the disciples. That's how I explain the disciples. They're Jesus' besties. They're his close friends. They're the ones who have been hanging out with him. They know him. And so this is one of Jesus' closest friends that has now turned on him. And we don't fully know Judas' reaction. We don't know his feelings. All we know is everything Jesus said that would be done was done. And this kiss would have actually been a sign of respect and honor to Jesus, which is kind of an insult to injury. When this guy who is one of your 12 closest friends says, I totally respect you, get him. Like imagine being Jesus and they're like, that was a change of events very quickly. But Jesus doesn't get mad. 
He doesn't tell him how wrong he is. Jesus surrenders to what is going to happen. Jesus, in the previous passage, said, Here is my betrayer, the one we talked about the previous week. And then in verse 40, uh, it says that in verse 43, and immediately, right after it says that, Judas is there with his crew who looks ready for a fight. Here's the thing. When we read the Bible, it's pretty hard to compare ourselves to Jesus because we know he always does everything right. It's like, oh, I know I should do that. I get it. But he's always going to make the perfect decision. But again, it's a good guide for us. We can still learn from him and learn key aspects. So last week, we looked through Jesus spending time with his father. Jesus sees all this coming, and his decision is, what should I do? Like, right, if it was my last day on earth, what would I do? I always say I would go to, I think it's New Zealand, where you can, like, snowboard and surf in the same day. Because then, when I'm super sore the next day, I wouldn't feel it, right? Um... But what does Jesus choose to do with his last day? He spends time with his father. Okay. When push comes to shove in life and things get a bit complicated, Jesus chooses to go toward his father and to surrender to God's will. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. If we go back to when people had originally heard about a Messiah, someone who was going to save all the people, they would have thought in battle terms. Someone who would conquer and give them land, money, you know, connections. To think that the person that was supposed to save you was now being arrested and killed by your own leaders, that doesn't seem to work out so well. However, Jesus doesn't use the same reasoning that we use. Or he doesn't even try to explain to everyone what's happening. He simply allows himself to be arrested. Surrender is about trust. It's not about understanding everything. If someone was to say, uh, look at the story and not know how it ends, it looks bleak. Imagine being the disciples. Jesus has been saying, again, he's one of your closest friends, and he's like, Hey, you're going to turn on me. You're going to turn on me. You're not thinking, yeah, I totally am, or I hope you wouldn't. He's also saying you're going to deny me. He's saying he would die. He's prepared them, but nothing could truly prepare them for this. They're scared, and they run, and Jesus is left all alone by himself, arrested. And he's prepared for enduring death. However, he simply has surrendered it to the bigger plan knowing he doesn't maybe know all the details, or maybe he does. The peace comes not in knowing what is coming, but knowing who is with him. See, each of us have these moments where where things don't go according to plan. Maybe there's a diagnosis. Maybe we get that phone call, and it drops our heart into the pit of our stomachs. And we have choices in those moments. Who and what do we trust going forward? Do we try and figure it out, or do we simply give it to God? Number two, our humanity fights our willingness. Okay, the disciples get a totally bad rap 
Because again, if I was in this situation, I'm not sure I'd make a different decision. I'd like to say I would, but would I? I don't know. Because they're meant to be Jesus' friends, and in the moment when they can prove their true allegiance to him, they fail. They couldn't stay awake that we were talking about last week. They couldn't stay awake even. And when it comes to time to say that they are believers, they bolt. Peter cuts off the guard's ear to show he was willing to fight for his friend. Peter, who so many times were like, ugh, Peter just doesn't get it, right? He questions Jesus. He doubts Jesus constantly in Scripture. And in this moment, he probably feels like, I am going to be the hero for once. I'm going to stand for Jesus. And yet, as soon as he cuts off the ear, Jesus stops him and heals the guard, according to Luke. And Jesus is like, good try, Peter. Yet again wrong, man. Would have been hard to be Peter. He's trying so hard. And Jesus then questions the leaders. Why now? He questions them, actually not really looking for an answer, but he questions them, and the disciples flee, and he's left alone. And I'm not going to, again, ignore that really weird part where there's just a naked guy. What? It's weird. Okay, I get it. One of the people, um, you know, had a long shirt, linen, whatever. The guards are holding him by it. And so he runs away. His clothes are left. He runs away naked. Who is it? Many scholars believe it's Mark. Because many of these stories are second-hand accounts, but this is a first-hand account. And he's the only one who talks about this guy. None of the other Gospels mention him. This nakedness represents the shame and the guilt that Mark would have felt, knowing that this moment was not his best. It was one where he abandoned Jesus in his time of need. He intentionally escaped from the grasp, and was not only socially embarrassed, but was also embarrassed as he was a total hypocrite, unwilling to stand by his friends and his beliefs. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here's what I want to say about this. As humans, we have so much opportunity to fail and fall short. I do it every day. Because we know what we should do. We know what the right thing is. But usually the right thing is the hardest thing. It takes surrender. It takes sacrifice. And it takes a willingness to choose things which might put us in difficult positions. However, here's the amazing thing about this story. Because that can feel a little like, ooh, okay, I'm feeling like I'm the worst. The story isn't about the disciples' mess up. That's not the focus, because redemption still comes for them. Peter, who even, again, slices off the guy's ear, messes up, and then denies Jesus, messes up, there is redemption for him. In the pivotal moments when we make choices, which from all outside perspectives, we could acknowledge as the wrong choice, they come back to a relationship with Jesus. They go on to stand for their faith. They go on to follow Christ. They go on to seek God, despite any ways that they may have felt they have fallen short. 
Our humanity fights our willingness, but we don't do life alone. As we do life, we find Jesus, and he guides us, and he doesn't give up on us. See, the story of the arrest shows that Jesus does something that none of us can do on our own. Because we can surrender, and we give things to God because of our relationship with him. Jesus doesn't get tired of fighting His willingness in the moment actually is him fighting for us and for the salvation of all. Even if maybe he felt like he didn't want to do it, the end picture is he is fighting for us in this moment. Enduring suffering for each of us and knowing that although he'd be doing this without his friends, it was still worth it. We have a God who is with us at our rock bottom and carries us through the most difficult moments. When we can't see the end, when we can't understand, when it, you know, goes against all of our reasoning and appears hopeless, God remains there, and he remains steady. Number three, God works on his own clock. A wise mentor of mine, if you hear these words, you may be able to guess who she is, loves this quote, the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. No, that's a Ruth Denbor quote. Love that one. I was tricked by that one several times. I was like, oh, yeah, wrong timing. Jesus said actually really rather pointed statements. Because they could have taken him in so many times. He was like, hey, I was in the temple. Why are you coming now? But they took him at this point because they are fulfilling the prophecy. See, Jesus didn't start some revolution where he's like, I'm going to overthrow the government. He didn't say he was going to attack anyone. He meant no harm. So when they come with like clubs and swords, he's like, it's not really my thing. The fear about Jesus came in the message of hope that was brought for all. The message that no one was better than anyone else. The message that we are all acceptable. And why is that such a dangerous message, right? That seems like, that's a nice message. Why would you get, like, nervous about it? Because it takes power away from those who claim to be more important. From those who claim to be more righteous. From those who claim superiority over others. Humility is a core characteristic of the Christian life. And Jesus' message was for all. And this plan was set in stone from the beginning. And so in Isaiah 53, this is the foretelling of what's going to happen. So this is the Old Testament before Jesus comes. People had read this and it said, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servants grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. 
He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all this is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servants will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honor of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. This is exactly what Jesus did before Jesus was honored. He fulfills this. God's plan was all in his time. We may look at it and think, but this, we could have done it better. But we see time as this thing that's from start to end. It's so linear to us. And this one always like makes my brain hurt a lot, but God is not restrained in that start and end time. Because he's at the beginning and he's already at the end. He's at breakfast and supper at the same time. He's at your birth along with your death. He's there on your best day and he's there on your worst day. And he's there at the same time. And when we look at our lives and think, God, this, this isn't the right, right time, or this is the right time for this, I'm sure he laughs and thinks, you have no idea. Because God's ideas are so big. Jesus' life came to fruition in these moments that maybe we would see as failures. The disciples look and think the plan has failed. Jesus is doomed. The last three years... <laughs> Yeah, it changed their entire life. Maybe they were worried in those moments, did I just waste these last three years? Did this just ruin my life? But God's plan is bigger. We can look at this story and see it in a negative light. The sad part is Jesus gets taken away. However, it's not sad because it's such an important piece to the puzzle, which must happen in order for the prophecy to be fulfilled in order for Jesus to do something so difficult because he loves us so deeply. And maybe you're in one of these moments right now thinking, I can't get out of here. I'm in that terrible moment. Maybe you're like the disciples thinking, everything is messed up. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. No matter what is happening in your life, the character of God remains the same. The love of God remains the same and the presence of God remains the same. We don't know the future. We have no idea. We don't know what tomorrow brings. However, we know someone who does. 
the more we know our God, the more we can trust in what is to come. Surrendering is not giving up on ourselves. It's about giving our confidence to God, the one who we can be confident in. So I'd like to encourage each of us today, what do we need to trust God with? What's maybe, maybe there's something holding you back. Maybe there's just something that you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to give this to God. Maybe there's something that you're shying away from or running from God because we aren't sure what the answer is going to be. So we'll just keep this one to us. So I'm going to give you a couple moments just to reflect on that. Just to reflect on, is there something that you're needing to give to God today? Because I know I can tend to get in the way of what God wants to do. And I know for each of us in this room, God wants to do something amazing. Even if I don't know you, I already know God wants to do something amazing because he created you and he created you with a purpose. So we're going to do something out of even my comfort zone, but that's okay. We're going to stand together. Not that standing's out of my comfort zone. We're going to stand together and um, I'm going to ask you to just put your hands out like this, just to your sides with your palms up. And this is something symbolic. It's something we do during worship sometimes. And this is just a position of saying, God, take whatever it is. Maybe you literally feel like whatever this is, is in your hands. Maybe it's a relationship that just is really difficult right now. Maybe it's your future plans. You're not sure what to do. Maybe it's, I don't know, a stress or anxiety or depression or whatever is going on. We just want to stand in this way to say, God, take it open hands just again this act of surrender that whatever's going on we're going to give it completely to him so let me pray Lord thank you that you did what we couldn't do for ourselves and that no matter how much of a mess we may feel like us and you love us and we are acceptable to you God we just want to lift up whatever these things are that each of us have whether it's work family future plans maybe it's health concerns maybe it's just worries about about the what ifs maybe there's something we're waiting on and we're not sure what to do God, we know that you are bigger than all of this. That we can trust you. That you are a God who loves us so dearly. And so we just ask that even in those times where we want to, you know, grasp our fists together and hold on to them, that we can surrender them to you and say, God, you are bigger. And we give this completely to you. We thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for what you have done. And we thank you that you have an amazing plan for each of us in our lives. And we 
pray that, that even as we walk out today, that we are forever changed by this because we are closer to you. And we don't let anything stand in the way of our relationship with you. Amen.